Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 69 of Yogaland. Today we have Jason back. Jason's a little bruised up and scratched as I look <laughs> at him, quite honestly, across the table, because you just got back from some jujitsu practice. I just got back from... Uh... A teacher training just, program that didn't go well. Just a bar fight. Yeah, <laughs> yeah a bar <laughs> just, fight. You were just down on the corner. Yeah. Just, yeah, yeah. Scrapping around. Well, I got a decent shiner. All right. Yeah. Okay. You also have some scratches on your chin. Just well, FYI. Goes with it. Put some makeup on you later. I'm some fine. Non-toxic makeup. Okay. So today we're going to continue on the vein that we were on last week, which is talking about the values that you hope to convey to your teachers. So let's focus in on the point that you made about keeping your teaching real and relevant. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, totally. This is a little loaded and I want to try to make it not loaded, right? But I think that one of the things that all of us yoga teachers struggle with, including myself, is we struggle with knowing whether or not we're enough and knowing whether or not our class was enough and knowing whether or not it was hard enough and people liked it enough, right? Like, this is this, this deep, challenging thing. And from any basic reading and understanding of yoga and yoga psychology, the answer is yes, of course you're enough. You're already complete. But even intellectually understanding that, if we do believe that intellectually, it still can be difficult to feel. And so I think that a lot of us are in this situation where we're in class, we always feel compelled to do new, different harder and harder and harder things, mm. right? And sort of the the modern conversation of yoga asana is bigger, harder, stronger, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And that's in part, I'm not going to blame social media because I think blaming media is, is silly, but it is definitely fed by our engagement with social media because the reality in social media is that bigger, more poignant, dramatic things, they just, they look better than not. It's like a photograph. Like if you are an amazing photographer, you might be able to take this incredible photo of the plains. But in terms of a basic photo, like the coast is going to look more amazing. The sunset is going to look more amazing than some blades of grass, right? And so I think that the drive in contemporary social media of what sort of travels well combines unconsciously with the psychology of not enough. And so as yoga teachers, I feel like people are working so hard to make things hard. Mm. (laughs) They're working so hard to make things hard and different and new and to be creative. And those aren't bad things. Like those aren't inherently bad things. They're only bad when they undermine the foundations of what this practice actually is and how this practice affects people's lives. I wrote it in this this blog that we're drawing a little bit from, right? Krishnamacharya had the saying that 90% of the benefit of your yoga practice comes from the easiest 10% of the things you do. And I believe that. I mean, obviously, it's that's just anecdotal. It's not a scientific statement, but I, I believe that to be the case. So the point that I'm trying to make is we have to see that a lot of us, including myself, have certain insecurity. And that pushes us to make things really hard and different. And then the social media environment doubles down on that. Mm -hmm. And so as yoga teachers, we have to know that. We have to know that there's a bit of a trap. And we have to just step back and ask ourselves, wait a second. Am I still teaching fundamentals well? Am I still teaching breath well? 
am I still teaching the basic skills of mindfulness and attentiveness well? Am I actually developing a skill set amongst my students that is going to help them in the long run become more skillful at this particular discipline? And also, am I helping them develop skills that they're going to learn off the mat? Right? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's so interesting when you're talking about this. One of the things that comes to mind for me too, and I'm sure this is easier said than done, you know, I'm not a yoga teacher in front of a room full of people, but I think it's also remembering that what's happening in the room with the individuals is actually not about you. You know, like, I think it's really normal to feel like you're not enough, but in a sense, you have to get out of your own way and let the practice and the teaching carry its own weight. I tell this to my the the teachers I train all the time is you actually have to believe that yoga works. Yeah. You actually have to trust that yoga works. Yeah. And that yoga's enough and that you don't have to force an outcome. Yeah. But we get in such a rush trying to force an outcome and then we internalize whether or not we think someone liked class or this mm-hmm. or that mm-hmm. and it's a mind game that that we're not going to win and to be quite honest is is beneath us. Let me ask you really like foundational, like sort of human psychology question. Did you in the past and how has it changed? How do you actually feel after you teach a yoga class? How do you not engage in that game, that mind game of, was it good enough? Did someone like it? Do people like me? You know, how does it feel when you don't engage in that? I still engaged in it to a degree, but it's a totally, like I, my mind plays a different game. We can get to it in a second, but here's the thing. To be totally frank, it's like at this point, I know that what I teach is good. And I also trust that not everyone is going to like it, right? And so what I sort of really truly believe is I feel like I do what I do really, really well. And that doesn't mean that I feel like every class is amazing, but I, I genuinely believe that I do what I do very well. And I know that there are a lot of people that like it. And I know that there's a lot of people that it's not their preference. And I totally accept that. Like, I don't like that reality. I want, just like everyone else, I want everyone to like me. Like, I want to be the only yoga teacher on the planet and I want everyone to like me, right? (laughs) I mean, we, we sort of all do that. But over the years, what I have learned and what I not just intellectually learned, but I, I emotionally hang my hat on this is that not everyone is interested in my point of view. Not everyone is interested in my pacing. Not everyone is interested in my sequencing. Not everyone is interested in the fact that I don't listen to music. Not everyone is interested in the fact that I don't chant. So my job isn't to satisfy the students who have different preferences. My job is to do what I can do as well as I can possibly do it and make sure that I'm engaging that student base. Mm -hmm. Right? So... I'm not really in the game anymore of, is it enough? Because I believe that it is enough for the people that it is enough for. And the people that are, it's not enough for, it's not a good fit. There's nothing I can really do to, to take care of that. Right. So they, they can find another class or another approach. Now, the mind game that I get into is whether or not my approach to yoga will continue over time to have a student base. To be relevant. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I I fully trust in my competency. 
I fully trust in my preparation. I fully trust in my reading and my logic and how I do this work. But I don't necessarily trust that forever and always, whatever that means, <laughs> that there will be other people that want that. Mm-hmm. that. That's more. That's what I struggle with mm-hmm. now. Not so much. Was I enough? Was it good enough? I, I actually trust the yoga now. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. really do. I mm-hmm. trust this process. Mm-hmm. And I trust that for most people, if they come along with me for this process and they stay engaged for a while, then it's going to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's interesting going back to what you were saying a few minutes ago, when we talk about the fact that teachers feel this pressure, perhaps, or even excitement to teach harder poses to teach whatever. I mean, in part, it speaks to on the positive side, it speaks to the fact that we make progress as humans. Like when you and I started doing yoga, no one was doing one-armed handstands. Like no. they just didn't exist. No. I mean, it just wasn't. Or a... like the whole world of one-armed arm balances. Yeah. That like I look at and I think it's preposterous. Right. But, but it's just progress. But it's only, it's yeah, a it's sort only of physical because, progress. It's only because I didn't come up with it. Right. Well, it's it's just wasn't our norm. Right. And it's just a sort, it's a, it's a type of, you know, like I, I'm just, I'm specifically thinking of acro when I think yeah. of this. It's like the stuff that they do is phenomenal and it's amazing and it's fun. And like, I think the reason I'm such a fan of acro is because Jason Niemer underneath it all, he knows why he's doing it. Sure. Like he knows that it is truly for him. It's about people connecting with other people, working together, trusting each other, communicating well and having fun. He understands like all of his intention behind everything he's teaching. I think the trouble we run into is where it's like you said before, we're forgetting the basics of why people come to yoga in the first place. Totally. And we're forgetting that if you want to learn the one-armed handstand, then there's a lot of things you have to learn in advance. Mm-hmm. That, And I think that this is one of the big challenges of the modern era, and it plays out in yoga, is that everyone everyone's trying to sell everyone a quick fix. Mm. everyone's trying to sell everyone the 20 days of this, the eight days of this, the six of this, the four of this. And the reality is that's actually not how yoga works. I, I say it to people all the time when I'm teaching handstand workshops, which is there is no route to handstand that does not include swinging and hopping thousands of times. So get your reps in now mm-hmm. because you are not going, you are not going to start this process by learning to press into handstand and balance in the middle of the room. That at best is 10 years down the road for the vast majority of practitioners that even can check that box of having the possibility of doing that work, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. And this is something that I feel really strongly about with having a curriculum and so forth, which is if we want to do hard things, you don't do the hard thing by just working hard. You do the hard thing by having a long and tenacious and skillful approach to doing the foundational work that underscores the hard thing, Mm -hmm. right? And when I look at people that are good, whether it's sports, whether it's martial arts, whether it's asana practice, whatever it is, once in a while you come across someone that just has ridiculous talent, Mm -hmm. you know, just has ridiculous innate ability. But most of the people that do really well, whether it's... uh, violin or piano or martial, whatever it is, it's because they have scrupulous details that they have honed nonstop for decades. And there's a benefit to that. 
Yeah. And and that, there's a lot and, of benefits. And that, that yeah, though that's where you can take the lessons off the mat with you. Right. Like I give this example all the time, right? If, probably even in a podcast I brought it up. I used to work at the catering company that did the back behind the scenes VIP rooms at the San Francisco Symphony. Okay. And so we before the symphony began on Friday nights, we would be in the back setting up like all the food and beverage, right? And doing all the tables and so forth. And we were, it was awesome. We were in the same room that all of the professional musicians were preparing. And they were all preparing by tuning and playing scales. Mm -hmm. They tuned and played scales <laughs> like for a bleeping hour. Yep. So what if I was like, oh my God, I totally want to learn how to play the piano. Let's start with this unbelievably impossible Mozart concerto. That's ridiculous. Right. Like that is, it's actually so disrespectful to the process because it totally undermines what is involved, you know? And so, and so that's where, you know, I feel like I and all of us have to just be really honest and real <laughs> as yoga teachers about if we do want to do the hard stuff, fine. So do I. But you, there's no real shortcut to it. And we can't sell the shortcut. We have to teach the buildup. And we have to let people know, hey, you want to learn this? Guess what? Put in. And not only that, I mean, I think, okay, so there's that, there's that point that you're making, which is that real progress takes time. But there's also the point, and I'm kind of willing to articulate this, but there's also the point that it's kind of like, it, it reminds me of when I've gone to nutritionists. I've been to many nutritionists because I've had various health problems in my life. And they will always say, you know, it's not about dieting. It's not about, you know, creating a sense of lack in your life. It's not about trying to like game the system. It's about changing your palate and it's about a lifestyle. Yeah. And it's true. It's like, if you're really going to adopt healthy eating habits, you kind of have to let go of all the riffraff you're bombarded with daily that surrounds you daily at every party on every billboard and every commercial. You have to like block it out and go, what are the basic nutritional components that are going to make me feel good every day? Right. And so that's what I think of with what you're talking about. It's like, yeah, you know, every once in a while, I'm going to eat an ice cream cone. Right. Every once in a while, you know, or, you, you know, you might want to gradually work up to really hard poses. And that's, that's great, especially if you need that challenge in your body and you are really able bodied. But in the long term, yoga is a palate change. It's a, yeah. it's, it's a lifestyle. And, and if we look at the benefit, you know, we keep sort of getting to this. If we look at the benefit, what is a bigger benefit? My ability to balance and handstand or my ability to stay composed maintain my physical, mental, and breathing integrity, and work with uh, maintaining that integrity under stress over the years, right? So really, yeah, if we're working on a handstand, we keep bringing this up, we keep working on a handstand, is from a yoga perspective, the ultimate outcome to be able to do handstand? No. 
the ultimate outcome is to be able to stay grounded and centered and focused and in a state of equilibrium while you're working on something that's difficult, while you're working on something that's unfamiliar, while you're working on something that pushes your buttons. And so to me, that's another component of keeping things real and relevant is having the capacity to be speaking to your students about what really matters. Mm -hmm. You know, what really matters, mm -hmm. right? What matters to me is that people try. So let's take another pose, right? Let's look at splits. Let's look at Hanumanasana, right? Now, can I do splits? Can I do Hanumanasana? Of course I can. But you know what I need? A block. <laughs> I need a block. You need a ladder. Dude, I need help. <laughs> you need a crane. Uh, I need like, I need something that... Yeah. I can but, needle you on this but, one because it's no, a good I know, pose No, I know, I know, I know. Right? So, so a point well taken. Once the pose gets harder... People start getting very black and white about it. Like if I needed a block and triangle, if I was using a block and triangle, no one would be like, that's not triangle. But the moment people start to use a block in splits, they think they're not doing splits. Oh, interesting. It's I've really, never it's, oh about God, that. my God, this could be like, we could talk about this forever, right? People get really black and white, can, can't, good, bad. We get into this sure. Manichaean black and white, yeah. us versus them. When, when, the, when stress has elevated or insecurity presents itself all the bleeping time, right? right. But the point I want to make on is everyone can do splits. Everyone can take one leg in front of the other leg. Everyone can, okay? If you have two legs, you can take one leg in front of the other leg. That's splits. Mm -hmm. Now, your pelvic floor may not be bouncing off the ground, right? You may have range of motion to work with. And so that to me is the, is the sort of real component. Like when I say this, I'm not actually trying to be a nice person. I'm not like, you are pathetically tight, but we're going to call that splits anyways. I actually believe it. I actually believe that like any other pose, any amount of the pose contains the pose. So if you're doing the actions and you're doing the breath and you're maintaining attention, it's the pose. So what's more of the pose? Someone that is really tight, one leg's forward, one leg back, but they have steady calibrated breath, their eyes are focused and relaxed, they're attentive to the sensations that are present throughout their whole body, or someone whose pelvis is all the way on the ground and they're picking out their front toenail and they're thinking about what they're going to have for lunch tomorrow. <laughs> What's a more advanced pose? Yeah. And this isn't, obviously, it's not to say people are flexible, don't pay attention. That's not the point. The point is... You can't really score the quality of the pose based on the range of motion unless you have no understanding of what this discipline actually is, right? Mm -hmm. And so we have to stand for that. You know, we have to actually stand that the relevancy of this practice is its ability to teach us the skills of attention, focus, and discipline under stress. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. That's what it is. So to me, that's that's where we want to bring this teaching. And so this applies to warrior one. This applies to warrior two. This applies to a, a workshop where you're trying to get people to press in a handstand. Because in the end, it's not about 
pressing in the handstand or this or that. It's about the quality of engagement and the quality of dealing with what's happening inside you from moment to moment. And as teachers, we, ha we have to just embody this and we have to keep talking about it. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, to support we, each other. Because, because you know what? It's hard to believe in the moment. Everything I'm saying, if you're listening while you're driving a car, or walking down the street, may make sense. But if we are actually in level 17 vinyasa flow class and dude next to you is pressing the handstand, everything I'm going to say is out the window. You know, so it, it's really hard to believe this, but we we have to work to value these things. Yeah. I'm just going to add one more benefit, which will be we'll save for another conversation. But you and I have been talking a lot lately about health span. Mm -hmm. Right. And so the other thing to help people with is to take the long view. Totally. Right. This practice, it's supposed to be intelligent. It's supposed to build self-awareness. And those things can help you in the long term of remaining healthy as you age. We are all, if we're lucky, going to age. And that means that things break down. Totally. And that's inevitable. But it's like if you take care of a machine, it, it's going to break down more slowly. Yeah. We hope. Yeah. So it's really about learning to help people take care of themselves. And, you know, we've said this a couple times, which is, you know, we've talked about our age. We're, to me, to be honest, we're in this wonderful middle age space. Yeah. And I think that, I think, you know, like middle age sounds so horrible. Dude, I'm into middle age. It's so good. I'm totally into it. <laughs> it's good. I'm way into it, right? Because I still, my body still works pretty well. Yeah. My health is still good. Yeah. I'm strong. I'm flexible. I can more or less do what I do, right? But I have the wisdom that comes from doing this for 20 years. And I also, I, part of that wisdom of doing this for 20 years is that I've got what I've got. I'm not trying to make myself something I'm not. Right. I'm not trying to do poses that after 20 years of making no progress on, I don't somehow think magically by the time I'm 47 or whatever it is, like, then finally my legs can go behind my head. Like, if I've been trying to get my leg behind my head since my 20s, it's not going to start now. But that is this amazing relief. Oh, yeah. Right? There's this amazing, like, oh... I can actually just work it as it is and appreciate it for what it is rather than falling prey to the illusion that I would be happier if it was another way. I mean, I love you even though you have to be on your ladder in Hanumanasana. I still love you anyway. Can I make something clear to the audience? It's a step ladder. <laughs> it's a step. So give me some ladder. respect. Okay. It's not an extender ladder. I should have clarified that. It's a step ladder. I should have. It only has two steps. Yeah. It's red. Yeah. It's cushioned. I even love you that you say anyways. You just said anyways. I've never noticed this. I How have I never noticed that before? It is grammatically correct to say anyway as singular and anyways as plural. Have, I have you looked, looked it up. that up? Yeah. So after On, this. Oh my God. We have after this. After this. No. No, okay. people. Just erase that from your mind. Okay. I don't know if this is in your Chicago manual oh. of style <laughs> or not. Not. No. But the Google thing is going to tell you it's correct. Okay, I'm going to take deep breaths. And I love you. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks uh -huh. for being here. Oh, oh, 
That's it for this week's short and sweet episode. Remember not to take grammar lessons from Jason Crandall. And if you want to look at the show notes, I'll put them at yogalandpodcast.com slash episode 69. I'll put a link to the blog post that I referred to in the episode, the one about Jason conveying his values to his teacher trainees. It's a great one. And until next week, enjoy your practice. So eagerly